Today on Awaken to Grace, we are studying what the Bible calls the incorruptible or the imperishable crown. This is also called the victor's crown because this is the crown that is reserved for the believers who run their race well in this life. Paul lived at this time in the city of Corinth. I believe he spent approximately 18 months in the city of Corinth. And Corinth was world famous. It was just west to the great city of Athens in Greece. And they hosted what was called the Isthmus Games. It was second only to the Olympic Games. This was a major deal in Paul's day. We would say in our culture that Corinth was a sports city. And so Paul says, you all know well the stadium. You know that in a race, every runner wins, but only one receives the prize. But not so in Christianity. We can all receive this reward, this crown, this what they would have called a wreath. Today, I'm going to explain it all as we study 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27 on this edition of Awakened to Grace. Last week, we began a series called Eternal Rewards. We concluded last week in Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, where John describes how the church will cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus. We talked about how one day when you and I are in eternity and our lives are evaluated and they are assessed at what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ, the bema, the judgment seat. Now don't let the word judgment throw you as a believer. The judgment seat of Christ is not the great white throne judgment that unbelievers will face. As a Christian, it doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter what your failures have been. It doesn't matter how marred by sin your life has been. If you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you will never stand and give account over the sin in your life. You know why? Because Jesus took the punishment of your sin. You will never be judged for sin. Now, sinners who have never trusted in Jesus, sinners who are without God and therefore without hope in this world, when they stand before the great white throne and they give an account before God, the weight of their sin will fall upon themselves. And what shall you do if you are without Jesus? But for those who are in Christ, Jesus, the Bible says, was our propitiation. In other words, he absorbed the punishment. He absorbed the wrath of God upon sin, and he absorbed it on our behalf. To the fact, to the conclusion, you and I will never be judged for sin. Christ took that. Now, we will be assessed for the lives that we lived, for the opportunities that we used for the glory of God. You know, when I began going down this road of studying eternal rewards, you know, I had a lot to correct in my own thinking because my first response was, God, I don't want to work for rewards. I don't want to serve you out of what I'll gain for it. 
I want to do it because I love you. So is it wrong to desire spiritual rewards? Is it wrong to desire that God would give what he promised in the kingdom? Absolutely not. Randy Alcorn, who I've so thoroughly enjoyed his work on the doctrine of rewards, gave a marvelous illustration. He shared about his two daughters who are now grown and have families of their own. But he said, when my two daughters lived at home, suppose that I offered them to do yard work one Saturday, and I said, after you finish and you do a good job, I'm going to pay you for the yard work that you did. And not only that, I'm going to take you to dinner, and I'm going to take you out to a nice dinner where you can spend some time with me, and I spend time with you. He said, now, would my children be wrong for desiring the motivation of those rewards? Would they be wrong for desiring the money that I offered as well as the nice meal? No. They're not wrong because I, as their father, made the offer. Now, where you would be wrong is he said, suppose my daughters said, I will not rake a leaf unless I am paid. Oh, now you have a whole other can of worms there. And do you know that shepherds, pastors, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, we can forfeit our reward if we do it solely for money. We can forfeit our reward, as Scripture calls it, filthy lucre. You can forfeit. So had his children said, Dad, unless I get something out of it, I'm not going to do the yard work. Okay, then clearly they're not going to receive the Father's reward. But he said, now take it a step further. And this is where many Christians are today. Suppose I offered to my daughters and said, I'm going to pay you and I want to spend time with you and take you to a nice meal. And just say, they said, no, thank you. I'm not interested. He said, now how would I feel as their father? They don't want to spend time with me. They don't want to enjoy my company. They don't want to enjoy my rewards. Can we have that same attitude? If our attitude is, hey, as long as I'm somewhere up in heaven, I'll be fine. I don't need anything from God. I'll just be glad to be there. Could it be that we are forfeiting the desires of the Father because we don't feel any motivation towards spiritual rewards? I've had to correct some of my thinking. If it is true where we left off last week around the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4, that when we cast our crowns, now remember what we said last week, we do not serve God as an employee serving an employer. We serve God as sons and daughters who have an inheritance. And if the casting of our crowns at the feet of Jesus is going to be the most ultimate and the most supreme act of a worship in all of existence of humanity, how will you feel if you have nothing to show for your life? It's not that we are racking up rewards. It's that one day we are going to have a supreme act of worship of saying, Jesus, you are the center of my life. I did everything because of your will. 
In you I lived and moved and had my being and the things you entrusted me with, the health you gave me, the marriage you gave me, the family you gave me, the employment you gave me, the resources you gave me, everything you gave me was pointed to the glory of God. I would rather live like that than to say, "Eh, give me a shack up in heaven and I'll be fine. Will my worship be diminished? Because I did not live the life God expected me to live on the earth. That's the question in this series. So where we left off last week is that we'll take the crowns that we will win. Now remember, those are not royal crowns. Those are not diadem crowns. There's two words for crowns in the New Testament. There's diadem, which means royal crown. And then there's Stephanus, which means overcomer. The crowns that this has in mind is an overcomer's crown. And that's where we're going to be today in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 24 to 27. I'm calling today the victor's crown. How to live a mastered life. The victor's crown, the imperishable wreath, as we will see in the scriptures, is for those believers who ran their race well, who lived a disciplined life, and who mastered their life. Paul is going to do some amazing teaching for us, and I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to teach us many things. Now, this is the first of the five crowns that Scripture identifies. But just like the spiritual gifts, if you were with me a couple of years ago, I did an exhaustive series on the spiritual gifts. I do not believe that the gifts that Scripture identifies in that long list in Corinthians and Romans, I do not believe is an exhaustive list. If it were meant to be an exhaustive list, I think they would completely match up. But there are different gifts in Corinthians, different gifts in Romans. I think that alone shows that there are varieties, as Scripture says in Corinthians, there are varieties of gifts. (coughs) In a similar way, I do not believe that the five crowns identified by the Scriptures is all that there are. I think there are many, many, many different types of crowns that you and I overcome with. Scripture only gives us a taste of five. And throughout this series, we're going to study each five in great detail. And today begins the first one, the crown, which we'll call today, this is the imperishable crown. This is the incorruptible crown. Today, we're going to call it the victor's crown. Go with me to verse number 24. First, I want to note the city of Corinth. Now, remember that Paul, when he writes to the people of Corinth, the first thing he's going to say in verse 24 is, Do you not know that all the runners run to win a prize? Now, why would he say it in that tone of, Do you not know? In other words, this is really what he's saying. Are you not aware of the games? Have you not all been to the stadium? Are you not aware of what happens in the city of Corinth? Let's understand for a moment. Paul loved the city of Corinth. As a matter of fact, 
He spent 18 consecutive months. And if you know anything about Paul's life, you know he didn't stay anywhere very long. He didn't let grass grow underneath his feet at all. And he lived in the city of Corinth to train the church for 18 consecutive months. It is to the believers in Corinth that he wrote the letters 1st and 2nd Corinthians 2. And if you know anything about those letters, you know the church of Corinth was an absolute mess. Filled with pride, filled with carnality. Why? Because the city was filled with pride. The city was filled with carnality. But Paul had a heart for these people. Corinth was an immensely important city in Paul's day. It sat to the west of Athens in southern Greece. And it held the Isthmus Games, which was only second to the great Olympic Games, which still goes to this day. Paul was very familiar with the Isthmus Games. As a matter of fact, I think most likely Paul probably was a vendor at the Isthmus Games because what did he do for a living? He was a tent maker. Well, what a perfect place to sell tents, right? I think Paul is deeply connected to what's going on in the culture, to what's happening in this important city. I think Paul is incredibly connected, and the Holy Spirit pens it in the Scriptures for us. And watch what Paul says. Verse 24, do you not know? Have you not been to the stadium? He's speaking of familiarity. And he says, everyone that competes in the games, all the athletes that run, they all compete, but only one wins the prize. Not so in Christianity. Not so. Thank God that you are not competing against any other believer. Thank God this church is not competing against any other church. Amen? In fact, we're teammates. No competition whatsoever. And you're not in any competition with any believer. So why do we measure up? Why do we size each other up to see where we measure up? Why do we look at other lives? And why do we look at other giftings? And why do we look at other talents? And why do we look at people who seem to have it better or seem to have it easier? You're not in competition with anyone. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to prove to you through the Scriptures today, the only one you're in competition with is yourself. Not anyone else. And so Paul is going to lay a foundation right here. And he's going to say, listen, Corinthians, you're all familiar with the games. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And all of these athletes converge onto Corinth. And here they're coming in from all over the world. They're all going to run, but only one is going to get the prize. But listen what he says. So run that you may obtain it. Look at the command of Scripture. You are in the race. (laughs) So run that you may win. How are we to run? Well, look at the next verse, verse 25. This is fascinating. Paul says, every athlete that competes, what marks their life? Paul says they all exercise self-control in all things. They exercise self-control. How are you and I to run our race? We are to run it with self-control in our life. This crown is reserved for those who master their life. It is reserved for those who live a disciplined, focused Christian life. Just as Paul did. 
God willing, in the month, in another month or two, we're going to begin a verse-by-verse study through the entire book of Hebrews. Don't ask me how long we're going to be there. I have no idea. Oh, but we're going to savor it. It's going to be like a steak buffet. We're going to marinate and we're going to savor every Sunday the book of Hebrews. And what does the author of Hebrews say in chapter 12, verse 1? Are we not surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses? Who are those witnesses? All of those mentioned in chapter 11, that great hall of faith. Are they not rooting the church on? Are they not cheering the church on from the balconies of heaven? And what does the author of Hebrews say that we are to do? Lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely, that tries to beset us, that tries to hinder us, that tries to oppose us, that tries to slow us down. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And how does it say we are to run? Let us run this race with what? Endurance. With discipline. You and I are running a race in life. Now, now say amen if you're with me right now. Amen. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but half of y'all are on hamster wheels instead of in the track. I'm not running no hamster wheel, amen? I had a boss one time before I went full-time as a pastor, and he just scratched his head one day. And I remember he's a lot taller than I am, and he, he, he just he, he kind of looked down at me. He's real tall. And he said, Chad, he said, I just can't figure you out. He said, I, I don't understand. He said, why, why are you not trying to get ahead? What are you talking about? He said, well, I mean, you're, you're not trying to advance your career. You're trying to pastor a church. There's no money in that. He said, why are you not trying to get ahead? I said, because I don't live on a hamster wheel. I'm in a race that there's a crown laid up for me, amen? And I don't compete against anybody except me, as Paul teaches. So let's understand it. He said, everyone's going to run, but only one's going to get the prize, but not so in the church. Run that you may win your crown. Do you see the spiritual motivation there? You don't have the luxury of going, oh, well, you know, I think if I'm just on the back row of heaven, bless God, amen, hallelujah. No. Paul says run in a way, in a manner that you will win the crown. Why? Because your supreme act of worship is going to be to present it to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Amen. Hallelujah. That's a, that's a ribeye right there. Just chew on that. So every athlete disciplines himself. Every athlete exercises self-control. So what happened in Paul's day? Athletes would train for 10 consecutive months and then on the 11th month they would all descend upon Corinth. And Corinth would be filled with all these athletes. And Paul is saying not one serious athlete 
Not one serious athlete is going to compete without being self-controlled in all manner of their life. How much more so should we be controlled? Amen? Now, we've talked about the city, which is Corinth. We've talked about the contest, which are the games, the Isthmus games. Now look at the crowns. Verse 25, Paul says, All of these athletes live self-controlled. Why? So that they would win a perishable wreath. Now, what's he talking about there? This wreath was the equivalent of what is today gold medals. Athletes, like they, were, like they are today, they were celebrated greatly in Paul's day. And what they would have won in the Isthmus Games was an evergreen wreath, basically a pine wreath. And Paul says, that's perishable. The glory of it's going to fade. You know, today, those who win an Olympic gold medal, did you know that the United States government pays each gold medalist $37,500 for each gold medal that they win? I enjoy reading biographies of Jesse Owens. It's unfortunate that that was not in his day. But today they get $37,500, not to mention all the contracts and all the sponsorships and all that goes with that. But Paul calls that perishable. What he's doing, church, is he's going to compare the temporal with the eternal. He's going to put our eyes on what truly matters, not the transient, but the eternal. Did you know that the Oscars, which I have no interest in, but I'll just let you know, the nominees for the Oscars, according to Forbes magazine, Not the winner, the losers. (laughs) Not the one who wins the Oscar, but the simply to be nominated receives a gift bag that totals in value $225,000. Not the winner, the nominees. And you know what I think Paul is saying to the church through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? That if that kind of reward is laid up for someone who is perishing, someone who is temporal, someone who is only transient, then what is laid up for the righteous? What is the inheritance of the kingdom of God for those who live for the glory of God? I'll tell you how Peter describes it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He says, what is awaiting you and I who belong to God? An inheritance that is incorruptible, that doesn't fade away. Amen? And it's reserved in heaven for you. No one can take it. No one can steal it. But you can forfeit it. So let's understand more so what Paul is saying. He's saying, we are not in the race to win something that is temporal. No, we are in it to win something that is eternal. The world goes after the pine wreath. They go for a perishable crown. They live for the glory of today. We live for the glory of eternity. We're in it for an imperishable wreath. This is the victor's crown. And now, watch the focus of Paul's life. Verse 26. Paul says... Because of this, he says, I don't, ra- I don't run aimlessly. Oh, I love that. Can you see what Paul is saying? He's saying, hey, 
this is not a hobby for me. <laughs> this is not a religion to me. This is not an interest for me. I don't run aimlessly. Hallelujah. How many of you, you got family who think you basically belong to a cult? <laughs> You got coworkers who are like, man, how come you're always about this church stuff? I mean, why do you pray all the time? Why does everything have to be about God? Let me tell you, it's not an interest, and it's not a hobby, and it's not a religion. It is our life. Amen. And what do the scriptures say? When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him also. We're not a listen, we're not aimless in our pursuit of God. Amen. There's a purpose to your testings. There's a purpose to your tribulations. There's a purpose to your sufferings. There's a purpose to your trials. There's a purpose to the fiery testing of your faith. And what is it that you're not running aimlessly? The glory of God, the inheritance of God is going to be our eternal reward. So if an athlete disciplines himself when only one's going to receive the prize. If an athlete disciplines himself only for a transient, temporary glory, if an athlete disciplines himself only for a perishable award, then how much more so should you and I discipline ourselves for what's going to be an eternal weight of glory? Can you see the logic of Scripture? So Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. Then he changes metaphors. You know, I think, here's how, can I tell you how I picture the Apostle Paul? At least when he's in Corinth. Because normally I picture him in jail, which is where he spent most of his time. (laughs) But let me tell you how I picture Paul in Corinth. I picture Paul liking to walk by the grand stadium where they did their games. I think Paul was a big sports fan. I picture Paul getting up early in the morning and making some strong coffee. No cream or sugar, none of that stuff. No fluff. Just making some strong coffee and opening the Corinthian Times and reading the sports page. I think Paul was a big sports fan. And he goes from being in the race to now being in the ring. Now, before I understood the Greek of this, it didn't fit right to me. I, don't under, I never understood. Why does Paul say, I'm running a race, and then he goes, and also, I'm not beating the air. Shadow boxing is what he's talking about. It just feels like, a, it's like he changed gears very abruptly. I don't, I don't understand. He goes from being in a race to being in a ring. Why? In those days when they would box, and that's what he's talking about is boxing, they would strap leather across their knuckles and their hands, and they would slide pieces of metal in it. Now think of the damage that would do. Now remember, you're not competing against others, are you? So let's go to verse 27. What's Paul saying then? What does the Holy Spirit want us to know? What does he want us to learn? So Paul does this abrupt change of gear from being in a race to being in a ring. And then he says, 
Very fascinating. I discipline my body. I want you to write this down. The hardest person to lead is yourself. The hardest person to lead is yourself. The hardest person to grow is yourself. The hardest person to control is yourself. And Paul knew this. And so Paul gives us a metaphor that just staggers me. In the Greek, when he says, I discipline my body, the imagery of this is to hit below the eye. So picture Paul strapping on these thick boxing gloves, slotting some metal in it. Oh, I bet Paul was... I bet he'd rough you up. But watch what he's saying. I don't punch other people. I don't punch my co-workers. I don't punch my family. I don't punch other believers. Who is Paul punching? Himself. I think this is an amazing metaphor for how ruthless you and I are to be in our sin. You and I are to be ruthless toward our own personal sins. In the Greek, it literally means to black the eye. Paul is saying, before I let sin master me, before I allow sin to conquer me, I will black my own eye before I give in to sin. What a metaphor. You know, you and I need to be that ruthless when it comes to our own sins. Say, Chad, what does that look like? That means that for those who struggle with lust, you got to be ruthless in killing that sin. John Owen, that great Puritan pastor of the 1500s, he used to say, either you are killing sin or sin is killing you. Either you are killing sin or sin is killing you. You know where you got that from? Romans, where Paul wrote the mortification, the mortifying, the killing of sin in our life. You have to be ruthless with sin. Those you struggle with lust, you struggle with pornography. Let me tell you what it looks like to black your own eye. Let me tell you what it looks like. Get an accountability person. Get somebody that you can confide in, someone who will hold you accountable, someone who will pray with you, someone who will walk through life with you. And then when you get ready to be tempted or you're about to fall, you got Listen, you're about to, you're about to black your own eye. Amen. What a metaphor. Those of you that you struggle all the time with negativity and every time you turn around, you're just speaking negative, you're thinking negative, you're talking negative. No, let me tell you what to do. Memorize some scripture that every time those negative thoughts come, no, you take it captive in the name of Jesus. And you say, I'm not going to allow that negativity in me. What are you doing? You're blacking your own eye. You're saying, I'm not going to let it stand. I'm not going to let it get me. Amen. Those of you that struggle with greed, let me tell you what to do. Become a giving person. Become generous. 
And every time that that greed creeps up in your heart, just give something to the kingdom of God. And you know what you're doing? You're blacking your eye. You're saying no sin is going to conquer me. No sin. Do you see what it means to be a disciplined life where you master yourself and you say, no, I am going to run this race with endurance. Looking to Jesus because he is the author. He began my salvation and he's the finisher, the perfecter. He's going to complete my salvation. He doesn't stop there. Look what he says. So I discipline my body. We know what that means now. Why is he striping on the boxing gloves? Because he's going to black his eye if need be. And he's not fighting other people. He's not running against other people. His self is his own competition. And so it is with me and so it is with you. Then he says, I discipline my body, bringing it under control. What's he say by that? In other words, he masters himself. Well, I'm not going to preach very hard on this because those who live in glass houses should not throw stones. <laughs> How many of you could join my small group on trying to discipline our body? Anybody else need a small group like that? Anybody else drape their clothes over their treadmill? Anybody else want to confess that? Amen. Anybody eat bad yesterday? Oh, our sins will find us out. Speaking of, Miss Clara Johnson brought me a slice of pound cake Thursday morning and asked me if it made it to my desk, which it did not. And guess who she gave that slice of pound cake to? My helpmate. My better half. And Miss Clara said, what did she do with your pound cake? Which I said, your sins will find you out. <laughs> Maybe Sadie will stand before the great white throne. Child. I don't know. I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, what's he saying, church? Black your own eye if need be. Discipline yourself. Bring yourself under control. You know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of what Paul wrote, that if we are going to gratify the lust of the flesh, we cannot walk in the Spirit. But if we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the lust of the flesh. We cannot serve God rightly. We cannot please God rightly if we are an undisciplined person. God requires it. Why? Because your flesh doesn't want to pray. Your flesh doesn't want to fast. Your flesh doesn't want to do what's right, does it? Your flesh doesn't want to forgive. Your flesh doesn't want to be generous. 
Your flesh does not want to do the things that God wants you to do. But friends, that's why we live out of our spirit, not our flesh. So Paul says, I discipline my body, bringing it under control. I master it. And then this is where I'm going to close today. Look what he said. Lest, after preaching to others, four times in this chapter alone, Paul speaks the goal of his life is to bring others to Jesus. Paul says the goal of his life four times in this chapter is to win people to Christ. And Paul says, lest after preaching to others, I disqualify myself. Do you know what Paul meant by disqualifying himself? He meant not being able to run the race, not competing for the prize. You cannot win if you're not competing. And Paul says, I can disqualify my ministry. I can disqualify. I can forfeit my rewards by disqualifying myself. Friends, I pray that you'll inventory your own life today as I need to mine. And I pray that we'll look at our life and say, what areas are quite undisciplined? What areas is slowing us down? What areas potentially disqualify us? What areas do we need to stop praying? God, take this away from me. God, help me with it. When you know what God through his holy word is saying to us? Black your own eye. Amen. Can anybody receive that today? I think a lot of times as Christians, we're looking up to God and saying, God, when are you going to help? And I think God's looking at us saying, when are you going to do something? God, when are you going to move? I think God's saying, when are you going to move? And a lot of us have never gotten victory in our lives because we're expecting God to be a genie in a bottle that one day he's just going to grant our wish. And God says, it don't happen like that. You have to discipline yourself. You have to get in the game. You have to run in your lane. You've got to put on the boxing gloves. You have got to discipline your own self. Isn't that a good word for us today? It's a good word for me. Oh, I need it. I need it. Because I want to be a man of great faith. But faith without works is... I also have to be a man of great action. I can't just be a man of faith. I got to be a man who will black my eye if necessary to bring myself under subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, perhaps you're struggling with something today that often like me, you just expect God to just take it away. Perhaps today the Lord's shown you through his word and through his spirit. You need to get active in removing it. You don't need to settle for sin. You don't need to settle for apathy. You don't need to settle for laziness. If that's you today, why don't you respond right now to the Holy Spirit? Why don't you say, Lord, I'm going to discipline myself. And you know, church, we all lack in some way in this. Some people who can really master their money, they can't master their emotions. 
Other people who can master their emotions, they can't, they can't master their money. Other people who can do those things, they can't manage relationships well. We all have shortcomings somewhere. And let me tell you the good gospel news of that. That's why we all need to discipline ourselves. There's somewhere that you struggle. So don't let Satan tell you that you're the only one in the room struggling. That's not true. We all have areas of struggle. Maybe yours is addiction. Maybe yours is approval. You just can't function if someone disapproves of you. You need to discipline yourself. You need to black your eye and say, no, I'm not going to live for someone else's approval any longer. Whatever it is. Ask the Lord to help you, yes. But do more than that. Say, Lord, I'm going to stand on your word and I'm going to do your word. What's the scripture say? Don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word. And as you become a doer of the word and you say, I'm putting on these boxing gloves and I'm not going to let this slothfulness, I'm not going to let this laziness, I'm not going to let this apathy, I'm not going to let this sin, I'm not going to let it stand. Then guess what's going to await you, my friend? The victor's crown. You're going to run your race well. You're going to run your race And some of you are listening today, and I know it. I can't see you, but I know it by the Holy Spirit. Some of you have stumbled. And listen, you've skinned your knees, you've scraped your hands, and you've had some bad falls. But let me tell you, you get right back up. You get right back up in your lane. And you say, oh, but Chad, everybody's passed me up. You're not in competition with them. You get right back up, and you begin to run for the glory of God. For the glory of God, you just keep on running. You keep on fighting. Because there's a crown that's waiting for you. And one day you'll cast it at the very feet of Jesus. Have you listened to the music Awakened to Grace creates? You can check out all of our albums by going to awakenedtograce.com or you can listen for free when you download my mobile app, Awakened to Grace, wherever you get your favorite apps.